Hi, you're listening to the Colour Tour podcast. My name is Warren Eagles, colourist based in Australia. In this podcast, I'll be chatting to colourists at different locations around the world, finding out what they've been working on, what tools they're using, and what inspires them in the location where they're living. This week, I'm in Gothenburg, Sweden, and I'm heading to see a colourist called Nikolai Waldman. I'm going to his colour shop right now. Ready to have some fun? If you look inside, you can see every possible color. Welcome to the Color Tour podcast. I'm in the old town of Hugger, cobbled streets, quaint pubs, little cafes. Gothenburg is just under 1 million people. Sweden's just short of 10 million people, which is actually a bit smaller than I thought in terms of size. Obviously well known, especially in this town, for Volvo, ABBA, IKEA, great people, great English, which has helped me in the training classes. I'm really impressed with what I've seen so far, the standard of what people are doing. So I'm making my way through the streets now. Fortunately, I was hoping to find a nice pub to sit outside, but it's just starting to rain. We've had a fantastic summer here, like most of Europe. So we'll find somewhere to go. Did you hear that? He had a real traditional door chime. Hey, Nikolai, how are you, buddy? I'm fine. Good. So this is it. Yeah. This is this is your shop. So we're coming in downstairs, and it looks like a mind your head in Swedish. (laughs) I'm very observant of these sort of things. So we're just walking through now into uh, this would be the main grading room, I would think, and uh, we're in Cannes Film. So Nikolai, tell me about your your company. Uh, tell me how how did you get started, and what sort of prompted you into starting your own thing? Uh, well, I started working in film in '93, so it's quite a while back. Uh, as an editor and after being at the same company for 12 and a half years I started freelancing and after a while freelancing kind of yeah traveling around all the time felt a bit uh, troublesome because I have a family and I want to be with them instead so then I decided it would was time to become uh, my own company so I started can film together with a colleague of mine uh, two and a half years ago and since then yeah we've been working on all kinds of stuff from commercials to um, features t- uh, tv series yeah whatever right so we're we're sitting in can film is that anything to do with a can of a roll of film obviously no it actually doesn't the the thing is that it's the name is uh my colleague is class with a c yeah and me is nikolai so the company is actually called class and nikolai film but which is short can film but it's quite good because it says well we can film Uh, and you can it's a film can so it's a lot of different things you can put into the name. Definitely. I'll put a picture up of uh, your logo in the notes. It does look a bit like a film again. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your room. What have you got in here? What's your your hardware? Um, I'm using a uh, iMac Pro, uh, which came out last year. 
the one with the 10 cores because I thought that was enough. Uh, most of the things are done anyway in the GPU, so I don't really need so much CPU. Yeah. Uh, then we have hooked it up to an Avid ne uh, Nexus uh, as a storage via 10 gigabit, so that's good enough to play everything directly from server. Uh, what we always do is we copy all our material uh, from the client's disks to the Nexus and that's also because we don't want to use the client's disk if they break down or we rather give them back and then we have an extra backup copy yeah. of that. Uh, so and uh, monitor wise uh, we're using Flanders uh, so we have one OLED 24 inch and one LCD 55 inch as a client monitor. Yeah, I noticed that. That is that 55 Flanders, isn't it? And yep. how do you go in, Matt? So we are sitting on the couch and we're about uh, 10 feet probably away, 10 or 12 feet away from that monitor. And, and Nikolai's desk is over to the right. So I'm sitting here, I would just have to turn my head to the right and I've got eye line to him as well which is quite good because I think it's important you've got to have eyeline into the clients all the time, haven't you? Some of these where they sit behind or in front, it's, it doesn't work for me. No, that's exactly why we build it this way because I've been working uh, in many different studios and I always thought it's quite difficult uh, to get in touch and see the faces of the clients because it's many times you can read a lot of that. Uh, of their faces tell if they like something or if they don't yeah yeah and uh you didn't say what software you're running well i'm uh using resolve yeah i've heard i've heard yeah. of it yes mm. yeah and uh, how long have you been on that have you your color correction journey has taken you through some different softwares or uh well i started off actually using quantel yes uh, in the good old days when i started with color a bit more uh, which was more color correction uh, that was on an edit box, yeah. which is like many years ago. Yeah. Uh, after that, I went into smoke, and there I had some more possibilities to do color. Uh, but when I started freelancing, it was uh, Quantel had come with their um, Pablo, and that worked quite well. And then afterwards, they came with the Neo panel and everything. So. So tell me, we're in Gothenburg, and I just had a beautiful walk up through the old town to get here. What is Gothenburg to like the Swedish film industry? How does it fit into the scheme of things? Well, when you look at uh, Gothenburg in the film industry, it's uh, mostly uh, drama feature TV series, which are shot here. Uh, commercials are mainly done in Stockholm. And there is like this big film fund, which is called Film Ivest, mm. which means film in the west, on the west coast of Sweden. Yeah. Uh, they are a big film fund getting international, uh, yeah, big international co-productions into uh, the country. Uh, until a couple of years ago, it was mostly on the shooting side where they invested their money, but they understand now that in order to have a whole film industry you also need to have post so that's why they started looking more into post as well great that's good so stockholm is 
is bigger. Is it like twice the size of Gothenburg in terms of people? Uh, yeah, about uh, yeah. that, yes. So they've obviously got more of the uh, smaller, more agencies, more boutique post houses, I suppose, catering for that market. Yeah, that's true, but uh, we have one of the largest uh, ad agencies in Gothenburg. Uh, they made like the epic split, if you remember that. With Vanda. Exactly. Uh, so they are quite well known, but they just go elsewhere yeah, to do they, that they, stuff. You tell me their name. I've got a couple of their guys in my class and I don't think I'm going to be able to pronounce it. It's called Foschmann Buden Fosch. Foschmann Buden Fosch. Mm, yeah, yes. that's a great name, isn't it? Yeah. It's the two guys who started the company. Yeah, that's what the guys have said yeah. to me who have come in the class. And uh, they've obviously got a lot of work going on and they're still going outside for their bigger jobs like most of these in-house shops are doing. But there's so much stuff obviously being created that there's enough internal stuff for them to do as well. And they're colour correcting nearly all of their stuff now, which is good. So that's good it's all going through a pipeline. Mm. So you are more focused on doing long form, would you say? Being in Gothenburg, that's more what you do? Yeah, long form, uh, documentaries, and of course, small things as well. Uh, we do some commercials, of course, as well. Uh, so it's not just... Uh, but for us, we've been focusing a lot on trying to get TV series because we do everything from the DIT uh, storage and the whole, uh, yeah, also post-producers and everything. So we have all those parts, so that's much better for us to get get those big projects. Yeah, so you can offer the whole sort of service as well yeah. in terms of the post all the way through to you. And you do final deliverables and things as well? Yeah, exactly. The only thing we don't do ourselves are DCPs yeah. because... Uh, uh, well, now it's better, but uh, previously there were a lot of trouble with DCP players not playing yes. DCP, so we didn't want to take that responsibility. It's better somebody else does it who knows what they're doing. Uh, lots of people doing that all the time, mm -hmm. and that's what they do, yeah. Now, uh, you were spotted in LA recently grading something. Now, somebody told me. How did that come around? Was that you, or was that someone looked like you? No, that was me. <laughs> What happened there? <laughs> tell, us correct. That, tell us that uh, story. The thing is, uh, well, this is one of the recent TV series we've been working on for the last uh, year. Uh, and the director, uh, she is uh, move, she's working on a lot of uh, different productions. She also does some Netflix stuff and so on. And she's a lot in L.A. And the DOP, uh, he is living in L.A. So uh, instead of them coming to me uh, to see everything. They said, well, can you sh come to LA for the, and show the last three episodes and do the final grading and approval there. But you'd already graded how many before that? Uh, we'd done five. Five, so already. eight in the series. Exactly. And how hands-on were the director and the DP during that process? Um, during here, when you graded well, well, in Sweden? Well, during the first five, uh, the DP was very hands-on. He was sitting and uh, together with me um, almost all the time. Really? Uh, and then the last uh, three episodes, because during those five episodes, I got to understand what he wanted to have. Yeah. 
so we did, I pre-graded everything uh, in Gothenburg here in my suite and then uh, I went to uh, LA where I rented Mark Village uh, suite. Um, thank you Mark, it was very nice. Um, so um, I went there and set up everything and went through everything with the DP, uh, just like one uh, show per day, uh, yeah. just making final fixes. And then we had the director coming in on one day and watching all three shows. Okay, good. That worked well. And how, so you did a pre-grade here, then took the, the hard drives, the resolve projects, crossed to Mark's place, loaded it up. How, what's his monitoring like? Is his room similar to your room? Similar to no, it's quite different. Uh, Mark has one large, I think it's 65 inch. Yeah. Uh, panel, uh, which is much closer than mine. Right, okay. Uh, so, and the big difference was that I'm using uh, Gamma 2.2 and he's using Gamma 2.4, 2.35. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I had a bit of an issue there, but I fixed it by putting a uh, color transform on my whole timeline. Okay. And that worked really well. Uh, so when I came back, I turned that off and yep. it looked, yeah, the same as it looked on his monitor when I came back as well. Excellent. So, how, you know, there's a lot of talk about, uh, and I've seen the trailer and we'll be able to put the trailer in the show notes. Uh, there's some really nice looks and things in there. You've obviously worked closely with the DP, which I'm a big fan on as well as a colorist working with the DP. Mm. Could you have done it remotely if they'd have said, oh, you could stay in Gothenburg, we'll hook up a remote session. Would, would you have got the same results, do you think? Would you, would that work? No, I, I don't think we would have gotten the same results. Uh, maybe we could have come close, but not that way. Uh, I did another show together with uh, Johan Rank, uh, a famous director who's living in Los Angeles. Yeah. He shot... Uh, something in Gothenburg uh, and no he's not sorry he's living in New York mm -hmm. uh, uh, he shot in Gothenburg he just had gotten his baby so yeah. the problem was that he didn't want to come to Gothenburg uh, to do the grading so then I actually took my 24 inch monitor and a laptop went to New York into his office, sat there for three days, wow. and just nailing down each location yes. we were in. Yep. I think it was like a hundred locations or something. Really? So we did like two or three shots in yeah. each location, and then we jumped ahead. So it was a lot of preparation for me to know exactly where I had a big Excel file, knowing exactly which shot I had to jump to. Uh, and uh, where, then we did all the rest of the grading I did uh, here and sent files over and that worked pretty well because when he sent me notes back I understood what he meant because I was sitting had been sitting with him yeah uh, if I would have just sent files and getting feedback it's so difficult to understand what people mean yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm much the same, really. I think. And then once you, you do have that relationship, then it makes it easier 
to do remote stuff going forward when you know the person would make it easier. But there is times, and I've mentioned this before in the podcast, when when you're sitting grading with someone, you've got a feeling whether they like what you've done and whether they haven't, whether they say they do or they don't. You just know, don't you? You mm-hmm. instantly know yeah. whether you should try something else or do something else. Yeah. So it looks, show looks great. Shot on Alexa Mini. Any challenges, any difficult things with it? Pretty smooth. And were you working on the were you working on the DIT pipeline for that one or was that another company? It wasn't your company that got No, involved? it was actually our company. It was as well. Yes. So that's uh, so we did the whole thing. Great. Uh, and we also had the storage. Uh, we also uh, had the offline files and the whole pipeline for that Uh, it's a software we developed ourselves uh, which is called Deja Edit yes uh, which sends the offline files from the DIT station directly to a server and from there it goes directly to the edit stations um, imports something on the edit stations Mm -hmm. it will go back onto the server and spread out to all edit stations but also to back to the DIT Okay. And this is because uh, if you want to show the director something on set, you can just uh, send a timeline. Yep. And this can be done inside Avid. So you just put it in a special folder we have made inside Avid, and that will be transferred directly to the DIT. Cool. And they can open it, watch it, make changes, and send it back again. Excellent. Well, that sounds good. Well, we'll put a note in about that as well. Mm. I know that, you know, there's obviously uh, the shows that are getting done now on the, the Gold Coast, the bigger movies and shows, the, the editorial team are, are really there. They're mm. normally staying, if it's an American show, they're staying in the States. And they've got quite big pipes. The, obviously, the studios for shipping quite large amounts of data back a, across, the, uh, across the ocean. Uh, how do you go with security and things of footage? Are you finding that's a lot tougher now with these bigger jobs that they're so tight on who sees what and how they distribute dailies and things? Uh, well, in Sweden, it's not really as strict right, okay. yet as it's on the big studios like Netflix yeah, and yeah. everything else. So, uh, but of course, we we have a secure pipeline there as well because we know that we need it coming up do you work where you know obviously because you're in control of your, in your company and what shoots is there was there much happening towards the end of the year uh well not grading wise but there's a lot of uh sh- shoots going on uh so i think in december and forward we will have a lot of grading going on but now it's just after summer people start up uh, everything and it's their shooting, their editing, and uh, what I've seen most of the time is like in the end of the year, there's a lot of more color work than it's in the beginning of the year. Yeah, but a lot of stuff we're working on, it's, I mean, it's both international projects and there's a lot of, uh, inside the EU, there is a lot of money coming if you do co-productions with diff- within different countries. Uh, you get... Uh, which is both good and bad because sometimes it's not about if you do good work, uh, if you get the next job, yeah. because it depends on where they get the money from. 
Yeah, exactly. So that that's kind of uh, if you have commercials and things, they come back because they come back to the same person yes. each time. Yeah. Here, if you do a feature, uh, first of all, it's like it's a two or three year cycle, and then it also depends on if they get money to use here or they use money here for shooting. Yeah. So then they can't do the post here, and yes. so it, it's it's a lot of economics yeah. involved in that. Yeah. We have exactly the same thing in the you know in the states of Australia where it may get shoot shot just down the road from me, but the post is all happening in Victoria, yeah. so you don't get a shot at that. So it's probably the same. So let's just have a look at around your room and let's just go to your yeah. desk. So uh, we just get up and just wander over. So we go over to your desk. Mm -hmm. You've got your Flanders, your OLED DM two fifty. Yes. And then you've got the, got the mini panel, the Blackmagic mini panel. Yes. How do you find it? I'm really happy with it, um, especially now with the new software where it actually shuts down the screens or is supposed to do because sometimes it doesn't. Okay. Uh, it blanks them, but there's still light on. <laughs> and I've seen you can actually yeah. put a little logo inside the screens as well now as well. Yeah. Uh, no, but I'm really happy with it. Uh, before I had a tangent, uh, just I, I never bought the whole tangent panel because I felt that uh, there were a lot of uh, buttons, but you, they were not really mapped that well. So yeah. there was a lot of button yeah. pushing going on. Yeah, I, I did feel that with uh, with the mapping, and I will say that's not tangent's fault. Uh, the the elements were black by mapped by black magic and it, i always sort of felt they sort of mapped the buttons the night before a trade show and then went oh we really should do this again some stage and then never quite ever did it no, no i i know that it's not tangent's fault but no. it, it, yeah it and it's a shame because tangent do have a fantastic mapper yeah. which is used for all their other panel all their yeah. panels if you're using any other software yeah, it's well, cool, when, when i used apple uh the what was color, this, the color. Uh, there you could remap everything yeah. which was really nice i was looking at going over to windows uh, like about a year ago just because there was nothing coming and i am started having trouble because uh, having 4k and all that kind of things just the, the old imac just didn't cope but yeah when this came out uh, i think it will do for quite a while they're not cheap, but they're again, they're a lot cheaper than what we used to have to pay, aren't they? Well, the, the main uh, reason why I don't want to go from Mac is because of progress. Yeah. Because 99% uh, of everything I deliver is progress. Yeah. And having people sit, well, we need to export and then I have to export again. Yes. Kind of. Yes, yeah. yes. We are, we're talking about it in the class today. Mm. Uh, I've got people in from Stockholm as well. It, it does seem to be a very pro-res-centered market here in Sweden with people exchanging and moving files between VFX and editorial. So yeah. it's a big consideration. What's the screen like on these? Do you have, we go full screen on it? What's it like? Uh, it, it, it's, it is good. There is just one problem uh, because it's P3. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, and that, yeah. which means that everything looks very colorful on it yes. uh, so you have to uh, color manage it right okay and then it looks fine yeah 
So, so you've, you've, d- you've always dumbed it down a little bit. Exactly. So now yeah. uh, the viewers in Resolve, they are Rec. 709. Right, yeah. So they are showing the same thing as yes. the blenders. But otherwise it's uh, quite all right, I think. Yeah. Nice. And you've got your... Your big, uh, your big Flanders. That's a fifty-five. Yes, it is. And uh, you, how do you get them pretty close? What are you using for your color management to to get that like your Flanders? Uh, well, I measure them with uh, light space. Yeah. And then from that, uh, there is a little bit of tweaking by eye at the end. Yeah. Yeah, that's what most. And most then I do. measure it again, and I mean, I try to keep it as close as possible to reference yeah and what i've seen on this one when i go to the watch dcp in the and it screens it looks pretty much the same excellent so uh, i'm quite happy with that no no that's good if you can get that that's really mm. cool all right great oh, it's probably time for us to go outside and see if we can get a cold drink sure all right thanks let's do that The International Colorist Academy has been around for 10 years. We run classroom training at different locations around the world. So not only do you learn from instructor, you learn from other people in the room, such as HDR, ASUS, advanced software, looks and designs. So take your grading forward and take an ICA class, icolorist.com. We've relocated just around the corner and we're in a little bar. You probably should hear that tram. There's trams going on the street, which is really great. And uh, this is just around the corner from uh, Cannes Film. Now, I don't know if anyone's recognised from your accent, but you're not actually from Sweden, are you? No, I'm not. I'm from Holland. Born and raised in Amsterdam. And then when I was 15, I moved with my parents to Sweden. And since then I've been to Amsterdam once a year when it's IBC. <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in terms of uh, what you've been doing recently, you said to me uh, when we were chatting earlier that you, uh, you're you doing some tests for some period uh, show. Uh, how do you go about doing it? Because to me, something that's period and got some different looks is like one of the ideal things to grade because you can just you can experiment you can try things there's almost a license to do things slightly differently what have you been doing in your testing i know you probably can't tell me too much about it it's probably top secret but what sort of things well what we did we tried to see if uh, shooting on 16 or shooting on alexa and making it 16 uh, what way is the best to go and uh, well we're still in the testing process and the pr- production has to decide what to do uh, but I think there's a lot of ways to make 16 uh, from Alexa and make it look good anyway and what I feel also is quite important that if you go from because 16 looks quite good uh, so if you're just editing 16 against Alexa, the audience might not even notice that it is a period and it should look different. So I think by making it from the Alexa, and you can add more grain, you can add more 
feeling to it than what you can do. Uh, I think if you put grain on uh, 16, it's like grain on grain, which looks really terrible. Yeah, what we've got to remember, say, if we're saying 80, for example, the 16 mil now looks a lot better now than what it did back in the 80s. You know, because we remember it, we've been just SD transfers, the telecines weren't as good, softer, the stocks weren't as good, you know, all sorts of things. So, 16 would look good. Well, what we've also been uh, experimenting with is uh, tube beta cam. So uh, where it's like not a CCD, but it's uh, tubes which yeah. are in the camera still, and with those you get like these trailing effects. And what I felt that was kind of good because it shows like, and I think it's also in the effects really hard to make yeah. that kind of trails. Yeah. And also uh, once the uh, the interlace problems and everything like that, which you get for free because creating interlaced lines is quite difficult as well. It, it never really looks like it does it in real. Oh good, well hopefully that will come off. That sounds like, a, sounds like a fun project. Yeah. In terms of the cameras that you're seeing here, is it similar to what we're getting in the rest of the world? It's primarily Alexa, Red, is that what you're seeing? What else yeah, do you see? Sony. The Sony yeah. 55s. Uh, well, because of budget-wise, there are a lot of people uh, which are using like uh, FS7 and FS5, and yeah. so a bit more low-cost uh, things. Cheers. Cheers. The, we just paused for the important thing. We're drinking uh, some Swedish craft beer, Avalon Ale, and. Uh, Nice, very nice. What about Vericam? See any of that? Uh, well, I've been using on a couple of uh, things, but there's like one Vericam which I know of in Sweden, and uh, the, the guy who owns it, he really likes it. Um, but, well, most of the other people don't use it. 10% Sony, 10% that the sharpness they have, which doesn't really work well with skin tones, it works really well if you're shooting like products. And since we are a, uh, well, Volvo is in Gothenburg, so a lot of the film industry uh, in Gothenburg is based around Volvo. Uh, because it's both cars, it's trucks, it's buses, yeah. so there's a lot of films being made for them. And if you use uh, Sony on those kind of materials, where there's not a lot of people in it, it looks really, really nice, because the sharpness, which you say, okay, it looks like video, but in that case, it, sometimes it really makes it really looking crisp and nice. Yeah, I, it's the first thing I noticed when I came through the airport, I met by this massive Volvo truck. It was like a giant transformer there. And then you know, you know you're in Sweden. So, there's something that uh, I always ask people on the Colour Tour podcast is, your highs and your low moments in colouring, is there 
a high moment that stands out or there is a little disaster moment that you look back on and you go, that, you know, that didn't go so well? Or... <laughs> uh, well, uh, being a freelancer for many years, uh, the biggest problem is uh, having to rely on other people's setups. Yeah. And one of the biggest mishaps, I think, on uh, 35, it was going to be printed on 35 back again. Uh, the facility said, well, we have done the whole shebang with sending it to the lab, getting a lot back and all that kind of things. And I said, okay, is everything set up as it should? And they said, yeah, everything is perfectly right. So we started grading. After five days, we sent out some tests uh, to London, to the lab. Uh, we continued grading. And then on day seven, the lab called and said, well, should the black levels really be at 30%? And they shouldn't. So we had to re-grade the whole thing. You got paid though. I got paid. But... What about HDR? Are you seeing much HDR and are you doing much in ASUS? Uh, HDR, I haven't been asked for that at all. Uh, I've done a couple of projects in ACES uh, where, I, well, when I have different camera formats mixed up in the same uh, show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as long as there's not a lot of uh, special effects, ACES is really good, but once you start doing the effects, and that has to be an ACES pipeline as well. Yes. You're having a lot of. I yeah. mean, you need to know what you're doing, and the people doing the effects yeah. need to know what they're doing as well. It's a confidence thing, is it? Right. They've got to have the confidence that it's the right way to go. Yeah. And if sometimes they're not, then that's not that's not ideal. But I, I am seeing more of it, which is good. We're seeing more of it. We're seeing move towards. Uh, you know, more scene referred stuff rather than display referred. So we're taking into account what they were uh, using in their cameras on the day rather than us just using our monitors to make things look good. HDR, I think Netflix are the big, the big drivers of this. They really are and saying that, you know, they want HDR, that's the way to go forward. This is what well, we want. I, but I think... Uh Consumer-wise, HDR is going to be big in Sweden. We're, I mean, the, Sweden is an early adopter of a lot of technology, and they always are in the front of that. But uh, creation-wise, I still think it will take a couple of more years until we're there. Uh, I mean, we just made the jump up to 4K. And tell me about your software development side of what you're doing, and that's another sort of arm of your business. How's that going? Most people probably would have heard of you through Resolve Collect, and they would have used that. So, how, how, where are you with that? How's that in the? Well, uh, Resolve Collect was uh, developed because we were uh, we had a raid on our coloring system which was not large enough to keep the whole uh, three-hour TV show on there. So then it was like, okay, how are we going to do this? And because I've been programming 
forward and back a little bit before. I thought, well, my, maybe I can create something which copies just the files which are in the in the DRP. So I started looking into that and uh, uh, reverse engineering everything. And at the end, I found a way to copy stuff. And this was uh, in version eight, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then version nine came, and Blackmagic had decided to rewrite the whole DRP, and I got stuck. So, uh, but then Rohit from uh, Blackmagic, he was kind enough to give me a little hint on where to go, and uh, with that little hint. I've been able to manage to create Result Collect from the version 8 until version 15 now. Excellent. If you have a bike, say you have a 50-minute show, you can use an EDL to split that up. But the idea was, well, no one uses EDLs. We've all got XMLs. Why can't we use an XML to do that? And that's when I was chatting to Nikolai about it. And uh, yeah, a couple of weeks later, he came up with this. And is that a, is that a product or is that? Yeah, you, you can download it from my website. Right, okay, well, we'll have a link to that as well then. What's that called? It's called Niva.nu, like Nikolai, the N-I, and then W-A dot N-U. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and there you can find Resolve Collect and a couple of other software as well. Yeah. Some copying software and yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're a bit like me, juggling a few things. Yes, it's but but I mean, I like to learn stuff, and that's also one of the things which I feel why I never get tired of uh, coloring because there is new uh, formats, there is new stuff coming out, there's new software, so you have to be on top all the time and learning new stuff and just pushing yourself yeah that's what it's about isn't it yeah i'm still enjoying it it's still fun mm -hmm. come here nice places drink good beer with you yeah uh, and nicola it's been great chatting yes cheers thanks for cheers. coming on the color tour thanks for showing me around gothenburg it's really good mm -hmm. and good luck with your shows coming up and uh, the one that's coming out very soon we'll look out for it thanks okay very much. thanks a lot cheers Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. You can get more information about our training at iColorist.com or you can subscribe to the podcast through your normal podcast providers.